This is November 12th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and for the first time this year, the Bruins are struggling a little bit. The Bruins are struggling just a tiny bit. It's not much, but it's something. And to talk about all that, uh, I had on my good friend and CLNS colleague, Mike Petralia, Trags, who covers the Bruins uh, and also does Patriots beat, covers Patriots as well. He kind of does everything. Uh, but he's become a Bruins guy for us, and he is tremendous. I love Trags. And we talked about the Bruins sort of starting to struggle. We also had a really intriguing conversation about the impact of Zidane Chara and what these 1,500 games actually mean and how Chara coming to Boston is one of the biggest and most underrated things the Bruins have done over the past 20 years. So we get into all that uh, in this episode. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike Petralia. And we're here with Mike Petralia. Trags, what is up? How you doing, Evan? I am doing great. You know who's not doing great right now? And that'd be your Boston Bruins. Boston Bruins are not super hot right now. They're not as hot as they have been uh, in past weeks. Trags, in your own eyes, what's going on with this team right now? I mean, I think, uh, Evan, it's just three bad games, right? And, you know, and when you take a look at the start against the Canadians, against the lowly Red Wings, and against the Flyers, um, they have done exactly the opposite of what they did to begin the season, and that is have great first periods, or as Bruce Cassidy likes to say, show up on time. Being on time means you have energy to start the game. And uh, in the last three games, and especially Sunday night, they had no energy. They had no jump, no urgency. And I think it really boils down to you've got to keep things simple when you lack the energy. And that's what a lot of the players like Patrice Bergeron and David Craigshee and uh, Charlie Coyle were talking about after the 3-2 shootout loss on Sunday night. We got to get back to just getting shots on goal. There is no reason, Evan, for Bruins forwards to have two total shots through the first 33 minutes of that game on Sunday night. There was no reason for that. So I think, you know, keeping it simple and getting a little bit more traffic instead of try- in front of the goalie, instead of trying to make the pretty pass. Uh, would do the Bruins a lot of good coming up uh, against a Florida team uh, that uh, figures, to, you know, is much improved, but is still trying to make their mark in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, so right now, you know, they're in a little skid here. It, it was expected. A little bit. This was, it's not this the was, end of the world. No, it's not. This was going to happen, but Cassidy warned us, yep, everybody, at the sure start did. of the year that they might hit a wall. That there's going to be a time when the you know the the hype of last year's playoffs are going to wear off in Oct- after October and they're going to start to you know they're worried about hitting that wall and how they're going to handle it and this goes back to the six four win over the Penguins uh, a little over a week ago. Yep. If you remember, they gave up four goals in that second period and completely imploded. And then Light, they, they lightning fast also crazy fast and they rebounded in the third and ended up winning but ever since then the 5-4 loss to Montreal the 4-2 terrible game against Detroit that they lost and then the 3-2 shootout loss to to Philadelphia on Sunday night this could be the Bruins hitting that wall this could be the Bruins you know what we were hot for a long time you know we were riding the coattails of last year and now we're starting to sort of 
hit, you know, it's, it's not the middle of the season. So I can't say it's like the dog days of the season, but the dog days are coming because it's, it's mid November and you can sense that the regular season's becoming the regular season. And some of these games, it's, you know, I think for some guys, it might be tough to get up for. It's weird though, because Bruce Cassidy coach teams have never really had a problem getting up for games, but I could totally see this being them hitting that November, December, January type wall. I don't know if you feel the same way on that. Well, it's interesting because Bruce Cassidy was asked exactly that question uh, after the game on Sunday night. And his quote was, I don't know if it's an energy issue right now because we've talked about sometime we thought the residual effect of last year would kick in. Maybe it's kicking in a little bit earlier than we thought. I don't know. Uh, We'll talk to the players about that and see where it leads. So that to me is – Part of Bruce Cassidy's answer is acknowledging the potential of a wall. But the other part is I don't want to give these guys an out of being tired or hitting a wall because then they will use it. And what did Bill Parcells uh, always say about his football teams? If you give players an excuse, they'll, they'll take it, you know, 10 times out of 10. Well, I don't think Cassidy wants to give his players an excuse that, well, this is just one of those games, you know, and uh, if we hit a wall, we hit a wall, and we just got to fight through it. I think he wants his, you know, this is what I wrote after the game on Sunday night. I think he wants his team to be a little bit more mentally tough than that. Yes, maybe it's a wall, but he doesn't want the team's mindset to be thinking, yeah, it's a wall. We just, you know, it's one of those things that happened to us. He wants them to be mentally tougher. He wants them to show a little bit more energy when they um, need to show energy early in games and, and be hard on the puck, which is what they were not in that first period and a half against the Flyers. And, you know, that's why when I asked Cassidy after the game, you know, what was your evaluation of the first 30 minutes? And he just said, poor, very poor. We had nothing. Yeah, I think it's a very fair, fair evaluation uh, in the game against uh, against Philly. I just think that it's sort of starting to hit right now. And I thought this would be how they'd start the year. Um, I was wrong. They had an amazing October. Uh, but this is this, – I think it's just sort of that residual effect hitting. I think it's sort of starting to hit them. And to be honest, the way the schedule looks over the next three games is not very easy. They're, you know, they're at home against Florida uh, tonight because this is going out on Tuesday, so tonight mm-hmm. – uh, they are at Toronto on Friday, and then they play the next night against Washington at home. So things are not getting easier for this team. And, you know, um, this sort of leads to my next point. If this is the worst the Bruins are playing, <laughs> it ain't that bad. Because as bad as they played those first two periods against Philadelphia on Sunday, um, as bad as that second period was against Pittsburgh a week ago, they came back to beat Pittsburgh. And they tied it in the third period against the Flyers. I tweeted this out um, after the Flyers game because I think this sort of sums up the entire, you know, Bruins team as of the last four games. I know it's only four games, but it still feels like a bigger sample size. Um, Pretty much what I said was the Bruins are in a weird slump where they look completely out of it at times, but then will just decide to flip a switch and play well. And that is exactly what happened. And they're talented enough to get away with that on most nights. And while the Flyers are certainly improved, and I think they're playing a much more disciplined style under Alan Vigneault, and they're not turning the puck over in their own end, um, they're still not, you know, as deep and as talented uh, as the Bruins are. And I think when the Bruins' talent shows up 
and they show urgency, uh, you know, they're a top five team in the NHL. There's no question about that. And the other thing that um, I think you're seeing is the Bruins' depth on the third and fourth lines definitely um, is hurting them a little bit. I think they need a little bit more from the Corrali line. Um, oh, yeah. That, that hard on the puck effort that they got last year in the playoffs at big moments in the playoffs, like game seven of Toronto, of the Toronto series, you saw the Corrali line really do some great things. And I think um, that line needs to, you know, pick it up a little bit. I like Par Lindholm. He had the goal disallowed uh, on Sunday night. And I think that was a good call. A lot of Bruins fans hated the call, but, you know, the Bruins weren't going to challenge it because they, they figured they'd lose the challenge anyway. Um, but he, Lindholm looks, you know, very good. And he is the kind of guy to me that gives some spark to those, you know, third and fourth lines. Yeah. I think right now the fourth line's sort of slowly kind of getting their legs back under them. Someone had tweeted at me a week or two ago that corrali has been horrible this year. And I said, he hasn't been horrible. He's not been horrible. He's been okay. He's and been he average. started off, he's been average. He started slow last year. I kind of expected the same thing. Um, it takes guys like that a little bit longer to get going. Chris Wagner, obviously, is not going to come back scoring the amount of goals he scored last year. He's not a goal. He's not this big goal scorer. I don't know why people want him on the first two lines. Um, but, you know, there is that. I think the goaltender interference call, I think what people were really mad about that was it took so long for them to get a call on that. Uh, yes, it took so, that's exactly it, there what was, There was no announcement about it. There was no announcement. So people were kind of like, what did you call on that? Why was that no goal? If you look at it, yeah, I think it was either Seneshin or Parlindholm stick who uh, pushes Hart's pad into the net. So if you want to go off goaltender interference, it probably was. The Bruins were not probably going to win that challenge. Uh, it's just annoying when there's no call made. It's just, yeah, it's no goal. And it's like, That's well, why? exactly what Cassidy said after the game. Yeah. And so I think that, that, uh, that, that was sort of the, the move on that. Again, the Bruins just keep getting goals disallowed one after the next. Um, but when it comes to this Bruins team not being, it, again, if their worst is this, they're going to be okay. And we know that, you know, they're a deep team. Guys are, you know, guys are going to have slumps. The first line isn't always going to score all the goals, which is kind of why I wouldn't hate it wouldn't be a horrible move to move Poshnok down to, with Krejci and DeBrusque to get him. Or I know DeBrusque is hurt right now, but to kind of get him some reps there, try to get the scoring going with David Krejci, uh, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world in my book. I just don't think it's that bad. And I don't know what you think about I, that. I think, think the – yeah, um, I, I, I'm for keeping the top two lines as consistent as possible. I don't like mixing and matching unless it's a, you know, a desperate situation, and I don't think the Bruins are in that – you know, they're not in desperate straits by any stretch. I mean, they started the season 11, one and two. Oh and yeah. No, I don't think now is the time to do it, but it's right. coming to that. It feels like it's getting to that point. It feels like they're starting to hit this little skid. Maybe you try moving things around, seeing what works, but again, stability, I think is what the best thing is for the, this Bruins team right now. I think they're going to keep the top line. I think the perfection line stays together and they do a mishmash of things to get the second and third lines jump started and I thought Krejci played okay against the Flyers I thought he started to show a little bit more uh jump and sizzle especially in that you know second half of the second period and the third period um you know one thing's for sure they do need him um playing a little faster and a little harder uh on the puck and and, and playmaking because that's his skill right that's what he brings to the team is his vision 
Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think that's sort of one of his strong suits. He just needs two consistent wingers on his right and left side, and, yeah. and they'll be good to go. Jake DeBrusque is, is hurt right now, so um, obviously don't have him there. Danton Heinen was actually uh, in front of the net on that first power play unit. Played pretty well, scored a goal against Philly. Um, but one thing that Cassidy did this past week was he kind of tooled with the defensive pairings. He put McAvoy with Grizzly, Chara with Clifton. Now with Krug probably with Krug hurt, Cassidy said it was an upper body. They've recalled Erho back in nine. And um, one takeaway I have off the the defensive pairings this year is Charlie McAvoy. And I think McAvoy has been good in his own zone. He's been very good, but I'm just looking for a little bit more offense from him. You know, he's got well, it's funny you say that because looking for more offense, which is something certainly uh, Bruce Cassidy acknowledged after the game Sunday. Um, that he wants his young D to get involved in taking that initiative to be aggressive offensively. But then he back walked it back a little bit, um, you know, saying that on that first goal against Philly, um, yes. it was Charlie McAvoy getting behind the net, um, behind the flyer net and uh, not getting back in time. And that led um, to the Travis connecting goal. Uh, where they, you know, had, where the Flyers had numbers and should never have had numbers, uh, in the rush, um, and the pressure that they put on Halak. So, you know, it's interesting that Cassidy says, I don't care if you're the most offensive guy, you take care of your own end first and then use your skills accordingly and let the game develop in front of you. That was a message intended to get through to a young, talented, but sometimes maybe, gr- I don't want to say green. I guess green. Yeah, he's still what? He's twenty or twenty-one. Um, Who, Charlie McAvoy? Yes, he's a younger guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's young, and he's going to make a mistake like that, and his eyes are going to get big if he sees the opportunity to make an offensive play. But you, the, the message from Cassidy was clear: you got to get back and take care of your own end. And you know that, unfortunately, that cost the Bruins a goal. Yeah, I just I'm looking for a little bit more offense from him. And I think that's sort of what the Bruins are trying to go for because they haven't got a lot of production uh, off the back end this year. Now, I want to talk about – I want to stay with the back end, but something mm-hmm. a little bit bigger picture. Um, Zdeno Char recently hit 1,500 games uh, in Montreal, got a big standing ovation. I think what a lot of people forget is, you know, Char has had an amazing career here in Boston, you know, 1,502 games, I think, at this point. Um, yep. A lot of people forget how big it was that he signed here. Um, he signed in Boston in 2006, five-year deal, immediately became the captain. Um, it was kind of a, it was a huge thing because at the time, if you guys remember, if you remember correctly, the Bruins were in a terrible spot. They had just traded Joe Thornton for yep. peanuts. The, the, the team was bad. The, 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 the city was kind of getting sick of them. The franchise just wasn't what it was. And it was really, really struggling. There wasn't really a direction. Um, no one really knew what was going on in net. Nobody knew what was going on behind the bench. That time it was Dave Lewis who was the coach. I mean, it was a very like pitiful team. Like if we could, like the fact that we're sitting here complaining about three losses that were all close, like in 2006, people would have killed for that. Um, And Chara came here, became captain. And within two years, they were in the playoffs. And at the same time, Savard signed at the same time. But Chara's signing might be one of the most important things the the Bruins have been able to do over the past 20 years. Would you agree? Totally agree. And I think that's a great point, Evan. And 
I, whoever, and I forget the GM who signed him at the time. It wasn't Shirelli, right? It was, before. it was not. It was, um, I want to say it was Kevin O'Connell. I might be wrong on that though. I'll look that up. We'll have to look that up. But anyway, yes, it was one, it was a pivotal moment in the franchise's, uh, modern day history because they went from being, uh, regarded by its own fan base as a team just happy to get people in the seats and get people watching on TV to really a perennial contender. And they've been in contention really ever since the 08, 09 season um, where Claude Julien really started to develop um, the young core around the veterans in place. Um, he obviously leaned on the, one of the veterans uh, to take the leadership role. And he thought that Zdeno Chara was the perfect guy to do that. What's interesting about that, is there was a lot of talk and speculation about what Chara had written or didn't have written into his contract about being captain of the Bruins. He wanted to come to Boston and take over the leadership of an original six team. He wanted to lead. And I think people were skeptical of Chara because they didn't know how to read this guy who was, you know, a beast of a man, an incredible athlete, but he, his, his, the way about him in the locker room uh, was very quiet and very understated. And they, I think a lot of people misread him at the start, but he obviously put his money where his mouth is. And he's one of the toughest athletes I've ever covered. I mean, oh, you know, people God, talk yeah. about, people talk about Brady and, you know, ironically, both of them are uh, what 42 years of age. Now they are two of the toughest athletes and two of the toughest leaders um, Boston sports has ever seen. Yeah. So well, I know a lot of you listeners right now are screaming at your phones after I said Kevin O'Connell. Uh, first of all, the GM's name was Mike O'Connell, Mike but O'Connell. he was, he was not the one who signed Chara because Peter Shirelli started as GM May 26th and Chara was signed July 1st. Ironically though, everybody forgets that when, um, that Michael Connell was fired March 25th, 2006, Jeff Gorton took over from March yes. 25th to May 26th. That's right. And he made a bunch of moves in the span of like a week. I forget the moves he made, but they were big freaking moves. They, that they kind were. Of, that people attribute to Shirelli, but in reality, Gorton kind of got everything going on that. So Chara's thing is a little murky. If Shirelli kind of finished the deal, but I think Gorton probably had a little bit there to, to do with that. Um, I, but, I, look, I mean, I think Zdeno Chara, he's a Hall of Famer, right? I mean, that, that, that's. Oh not, my God, yes. I don't argue, think it's close. That's not even debatable. It's not close. Um, but for. Him to play 1,500 positions, uh, 1,500 games at that position and do it at the level that he has. Um, it's, it's like, again, we'll bring up the Tom Brady uh, analogy and the Tom Brady comparison for good reason. When Chara starts to slip, people see it and it becomes noticeable. Just like when Brady starts to not look so perfect on the field, people notice it right away. Even when they are not perfect, even at 75, 80% of their game, they are still exceptional players and incredibly valuable players. Now with Chara, it's a little bit different because I think the speed of the sport, um, is so transcendent and so apparent when you see him get beat that people are like, wow, that looked really bad. Whereas with Brady, you know, he can play the game, you know, play much more of a mental game. Whereas with Chara, Chara's in a position where, you know, physically, if he is not in the right place uh, on the field, uh, on the ice, rather, um, 
you know, everybody notices it. And that to me is why, you know, Chara's accomplishments uh, this late in his career and his ability to still lead in that locker room uh, are, are so powerful. Yeah. I think the thing with Chara is uh, part of the reason he's been able to last as long as he has in this league is his biggest asset is his reach. It's his reach. And that's not something that goes away with age. So, you know, I remember Peter Shirelli used to say, you know, he covers a fourth of the defensive zone. Well, that hasn't changed even as he's gotten older because his reach is so big and he covers so much ice. So that's sort of why, I mean, if he was 5'10", or if he was even 6'3", or 4", his effectiveness would be very limited now. But it's still, he's still effective out there because he's so tall and because his reach is so big. What I will say, though, is... I mean, the fact that he just came in here, you alluded to this earlier, the fact that he just came into Boston, became captain of a struggling original six team and thrived under it says a lot. I mean, this guy, what a leader. Joe McDonald had a story on this in The Athletic, uh, I think it was last week, where he talked about how Chara was so anti-hazing and Chara never says the word rookie. I, we knew that, but the anti-hazing thing is, you know, we don't haze. We, we treat the first-year players the same as we treat the veterans. It's all the same. And I think, like... That's a leader right there. I mean, Charo really is the, the the prototypical leader. If you could pick a guy to lead your hockey team, because the culture, look at the culture he and guys like Bergeron have instilled in this Bruins team that will that similar to Brady will last long past when they're retired. Here's I mean, the that reason Bruins for culture that. is always going to be here. Here's the reason Chara takes that attitude, and it's it's a great attitude to take. His attitude is, I don't care if you're a rookie. Um, two-year player, 14-year player. If you're on the roster, we need you to contribute. And we need you to be at your very best. We don't care, you know, how long you've played or how long you haven't played. If if you're on the roster, you're here for a reason, and that is to contribute. And um, that, it, you know, you're, you're in, what you're doing, if you're Chara, you're enabling the younger players to say, you belong with us. We're not going to treat you any differently than a 14-year veteran. Uh, because we want you to feel like you can step on the ice and be a go-to guy late in the game when the game's on the line. That's why you saw uh, last year during the playoff run so many young players step forward and have great moments. And, you know, that's why I love this young defensive core that the Bruins have, and that's why I'm not that concerned about them going through uh, – Periods where uh, during the season where they may not get a lot of depth from their third uh, scoring depth from their third and fourth lines, because I think um, the quality of their uh, blue line and the ability to generate offense from their blue line uh, will make up for it. What's so funny is, you know, you, you talk about the young defensive core and a lot of people lately have been saying Connor Clifton's been fighting. He hasn't been playing great. Uh, and, he, and he really hasn't been uh, at his best this whole year. And I, wa- I want to say to people, did you expect him to just come in and play as dominant right. as he was every game of the, like, the playoffs last year? I mean, that kid was playing with a fire under his ass the size of Mars, I mean, under, in the playoffs, because it's so important then. And now it's regular season. I mean, these kids are going to go through peaks and valleys. I know it's cliche, Absolutely. but to go through that. So, you you, you know – there has to be veterans on the team that can sort of offset that and go, hey, you know what? I know you're feeling it right. You're, you're kind of fighting it right now, but just work through it. You see it with me, Trags, when you're working with me. Yeah, I do. I'm not, you, you see, see it, with, it me. with me. And I, well, no, you're a veteran. You're always yeah. on your A game. But at this point, me, I go through my ups and downs. I make some stupid moves. I make some great moves. 
it's, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a young guy and I feel, kind of feel that way with, with Clifton that we sort of, we go through our peaks and valleys and we have veterans like you and Chara who are there to sort of keep yeah, us. I don't know if I deserve to be in a, a conversation with a Hall of Fame uh, defenseman, that's for sure. But uh, no. If you but played you're, hockey, you're, Trags, you'd be a Hall of Fame defenseman. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I'd be a, a, a heavy checking, you know, be on a check. I think I'd be on a checking line. I think you'd be a good, solid two-way centerman. You're a good leader, and I feel like you'd be very good at both ends of the ice. Fourth line, I think. A fourth line Maybe. checking center. I could, I could deal with that. I could, I, I could see you blocking a lot of shots. Yeah, I would definitely do that because I would, it would make up for the fact that, um, I wouldn't have the, uh, scoring, um, skill. Probably that, uh, the first or second liner would. I like doing little things. I like yeah. teams that, that do the little things, and that's what, I think eventually the Bruins are going to fall back on. I think they're going to be fine because uh, they have a coach in Bruce Cassidy and, and his assistants that really uh, don't miss a trick when it ter- when it comes to making adjustments and getting the players to do the little things over the course of a 82 game season that gets them ready for the playoffs. The, Bru- the Bruins look are still an elite team, uh, and as long as nothing happens to Pasternak or Marchand. Um, I think they're going to be, and, and Bergie, obviously, I think they're going to be there at the end, right at the top of the Eastern Conference. They should be anyway. Oh, God, yeah. The Bruins will be fine. <laughs> they're good. They're a great team. They're elite. Um, I don't expect this slump to go on much longer. Even if it does, there's 82 games in the season. I don't think um, November is going to mean a, a ton in the end. I mean, obviously, you want to get points wherever you can. Like, the fact that they got points against Philadelphia was insane. They did not deserve to get that point. Well, what's but really they did? What's really insane, Evan, is they had a legit chance to steal two points clear by winning that game in regulation. But I'll tell you what, Carter Hart is the real deal. I mean, he is a clutch, clutch goalie, and I think he yeah. has mentality. I mean, he stopped Pasternak twice on penalty shots. Obviously, once uh, in regulation and once to end the shootout. And he read he read Pasternak's shootout, or uh, no. It was um, – I forget what shot it was, but he read it like a book. I mean, he read it perfectly. Like, he knew that Pasternak was going to do that. Um, and Hart struggled this year a little bit, but he's he looked really good uh, Sunday night. Uh, Trags, before I let you go, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Well, um, obviously, those Bruins fans listening to this who are also Patriots fans, be sure to uh, listen to my Patriots Beat podcast. It um, releases, it drops every uh, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Trags, T-R-A-G-S. And obviously, uh, follow me on Instagram at Trags1. Uh, I'll be at the uh, Bruins and Panthers game on Tuesday night. So be sure to follow me there and follow our uh, Twitter account, uh, Bruin, at Bruins, C-L-N-S. Oh, yes. So you get Tuesday morning, you get Bruins beat. Wednesday morning, you get Patriots beat. I mean, could you have any better midweek listen? I don't, I don't really think you could. We we try to make it, we try to keep it real, Evan. We try to keep it real for the the loyal audience. We, we keep it 100. That's what we do. We keep it very real. We keep it right on, right on the mark. You loyal Bruins beat listeners. I got to start calling you guys something. I don't know what it's going to come to me at some point, but some catchy name to call you guys. By the way, amazing listeners. What? um, What's up? You like the the new look garden? I like it. I think that it's different. 
I, I've, I haven't noticed the black seats as much, which is good. I didn't want to notice it a lot. Um, the leg room, everybody hates. I mean, we don't have to deal with it, but our loyal uh, listeners do. So I feel bad. Okay, I, I, I will tell you, I, I went down in the seats uh, on Sunday night. They're tight. Obviously, they're incredibly tight. But m- my feeling is that the fans will eventually get used to it, and they'll get used to it a lot faster uh, when the team is really good. Uh, oh, yeah. There's no question about that. And, you know, I think the Bruins and Celtics are both lucky that uh, the teams are doing very, very well. And when the teams are exciting to watch, you know, fans are obviously a little bit more willing to put um, any discomfort uh, in the back of their minds, in the back of their consciousness while they're enjoying the game. See, with the Garden, I was more affected when – before last season, they toned the lights down on the seats. So it looked more like Staples Center yes. and where it was darker in the stands. Whereas in years past, it's been very light. You can see the fans. I always liked being able to see the fans because it felt like the fans were right on top of the action. Now it's very different. Now it's darker in the stands, so you don't see them as much. And it's just the game. And I, I loved the whole aspect of like the fans are on top of the action. So that was more the thing that got me. The black seats, I mean – it's fine. I would, it looks I, cool. You know, if I were you, I would go up and take a look around uh, the eighth floor where they've added that new uh, club seating area. It's pretty spectacular. I've heard it looks amazing. So I got I to gotta check that out at some point. But, uh, Trags, thank you so much for joining. Um, Trags is the best. I don't know if you guys knew. I, I, I love Trags. Great to work with. Um, and, yeah, that's been Bruins Beat this week. So for CLS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Bruins Beat listeners, let me tell you something. You guys have a great rest of your week. Thank you.